This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of tibial shaft stress fractures from the knee and sports section on orthobullets.com. Tibial shaft stress fractures are an overuse injury where normal or abnormal bone is subjected to repetitive stress, resulting in microfractures. With respect to the epidemiology, these injuries are commonly seen in runners and military recruits and is seen after a change in a training routine. The mechanism involves linear microfractures in trabecular bone from repetitive loading. With respect to the pathophysiology, this involves callus formation, woven bone, and endochondral bone formation. With respect to the presentation of tibial shaft stress fractures, patients typically report a change in exercise routine. With respect to symptoms, patients typically have onset of symptoms that are often insidious. Symptoms are initially worse with running, then may develop symptoms with daily activities. With respect to the physical exam, patients typically have pain directly over the fracture. With respect to imaging, recommended views on radiographs include an AP and a lateral of the tibia. Findings on the lateral x-ray may show the, quote, dreaded black line anteriorly, indicating a tension fracture from posterior muscle force. Again, the lateral x-ray may show a, quote, dreaded black line anteriorly, indicating a tension-sided fracture from the posterior muscle force. Other findings may include endosteal thickening and periosteal reaction with cortical thickening. A technetium 99 bone scan is sometimes used, and findings include focal uptake in the cortical and or trabecular region. An MRI is replacing bone scans for the diagnosis and is the most sensitive modality. Findings may include marrow edema, and keep in mind that the earliest findings are on T2-weighted images, specifically periosteal high signal. T1-weighted images show a linear zone of low signal. Treatment of tibial shaft stress fractures can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes activity restriction with protected weight-bearing. This is indicated in most cases. And with respect to the technique of non-operative management, make sure to avoid NSAIDs as they are thought to slow bone healing and also consider a bone stimulator. Operative options include an intramedullary tibial nail, which is indicated if there is a dreaded black line present, especially if it violates the anterior cortex. Keep in mind that fractures of the anterior cortex of the tibia have the highest likelihood of delayed healing or non-union. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, which of the following bones is most frequently involved in stress fractures in athletes? And the choices are one, the femur, two, the tibia, three, the fibula, four, the navicular, and five, the fifth metatarsal. The correct answer to this question is two, the tibia. So the tibia is the most frequent stress fracture location in most series in both athletes and modern military training. The anterior midshaft region of the tibia may be at higher risk secondary to tensile forces and a relative paucity of blood supply. Moving on to the next question. A 20-year-old distance runner developed proximal tibial pain six weeks ago. Initially, it was only painful while running, but now she has pain with walking. There is no neofusion. The radiographs are normal, and the MRI is consistent with a tibial stress fracture. Which of the following is the most appropriate initial management? And the choices are 1. Protected weight-bearing with crutches. 2. Switch to elliptical for lower-impact exercise. 3. Prescription anti-inflammatory medicines. 4. Arthroscopic surgery. And 5. Open reduction and internal fixation. The correct answer to this question is 1. Protected weight-bearing with crutches. 
so tibial stress fractures are relatively common overuse injuries that can often be difficult to treat. The differential includes medial tibia stress syndrome, otherwise known as shin splints, periostitis, infection, bursitis, neoplasm, exertional compartment syndrome, or nerve entrapment. Other comorbid medical conditions, including the female athlete triad, need to be carefully evaluated and treated. As Young describes, non-operative treatment with protected weight-bearing is the standard, but surgical intervention may be necessary if symptoms are not responsive to initial non-operative treatment. For shaft fractures, intramedullary nailing may allow return to sport, but does not guarantee healing. Plain radiographs are usually normal early on, but with time, may show periosteal reaction, new bone formation, or even a distinct fracture line. The typical postromedial stress fracture is considered lower risk, whereas the anterior or dreaded black line stress fractures are considered higher risk. Ishibashi showed that MRI was better than bone scan for evaluating these injuries. Moving on to the next question. A college football player has progressive leg pain for over six months, is no longer able to run, and has failed all modalities of non-operative treatment. His radiograph shows a linear lucency over the anterior tibia. What is the next most appropriate step to quickly return him to play? And the choices are 1. Tibial intramedullary nailing, 2. Posterior tibial plate with bone graft, 3. Bone grafting alone, 4. Cast treatment, and 5. Protected weight bearing with crutches. The correct answer to this question is 1. Tibial intramedullary nailing. So the patient has a stress fracture of the tibia. Non-operative treatment with protected weight-bearing, cessation of running, and possible use of a bone stimulator is useful early on. Once the radiographs show the fracture, especially in the anterior cortex of the tibia, surgical treatment is often recommended. This location is uncommon, but at increased risk for non-union and propagation to complete fracture. An intramedullary nail would allow for fastest weight-bearing and return to activity. Anterior tension band plating has been also described, but not posterior. The paper by Varner et al. reports on a series of 11 athletes treated with a reamed intramedullary tibial nail for chronic anterior stress fractures. The average return to sports was four months. Moving on to the next question. Which of the following stress fracture locations has the greatest likelihood of delayed healing or developing a non-union? And the choices are 1. Anterior cortex of the tibia, 2. Posteromedial cortex of the tibia, 3. Distal fibula, 4. Inferior femoral neck, and five, third metatarsal. The correct answer to this question is one, anterior cortex of the tibia. So the anterior tibial cortex is a tension-sided stress fracture and reportedly is a problematic area to heal. Conversely, compression-sided tibial stress fractures usually heal without a problem. This is true on the femoral neck as well. While the second and fifth metatarsals can have problems with delayed or non-unions, third metatarsals generally heal well. And moving on to the final question, a 17-year-old collegiate female track runner reports left leg pain for three months that was insidious in onset. Radiographs were unremarkable, and an MRI demonstrates increased marrow edema. A bone scan shows increased uptake in the tibial diaphysis. What is the next appropriate step in management? And the choices are 1. Protected weight-bearing for 4-6 to six weeks, 2. Immediate return to sport, 3. Tibial intramedullary nailing, four, long leg casting, and five, biopsy of the tibial lesion. The correct answer to this question is one, protected weight-bearing for four to six weeks. So the history of an athlete with an insidious onset of pain is highly suspicious of a stress fracture. 
the incidence of stress fractures in runners may be as high as 20%. To quickly review, stress fractures result from excessive repetitive submaximal loads on bones that cause an imbalance between bone resorption and formation. An abrupt increase in the duration, intensity, or frequency of physical activity without adequate periods of rest may lead to an escalation in osteoclast activity. Technetium bone scan is highly sensitive for detecting stress fractures but lacks specificity. An MRI is also valuable in identifying stress fractures when the clinical diagnosis is in doubt. If plain films are normal but the level of clinical suspicion is high, a trial of rest and evaluation with serial radiographs is appropriate. A rest period of four to six weeks of limited weight bearing progressing to full weight bearing may be necessary. Bowden et al. reviewed stress fractures in adults including appropriate diagnosis and treatment methods. They reported that failure of symptom improvement with rest is highly suggestive of the need for operative intervention. Ota Fukushima et al. reviewed 370 athletes with stress fractures and found that the tibia was the most commonly involved bone in 49.1% of cases, followed by the tarsals in 25.3% of cases and the metatarsals in 8.8% of the cases. Patients who waited more than three weeks after the onset of pain to be evaluated had prolonged recoveries. That's all for this review about tibial shaft stress fractures. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.